there is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome and thanks so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Welcome to the show and to tonight's First Five. I want to talk tonight about the confluence of four different things that all of us need to be focusing on and what they could mean for America. On Thursday this week, Donald Trump, President Trump, called for a thorough investigation of Debbie Wasserman Schultz's staffer and the scandal related to that. Folks, the confluence of the four things I'm going to talk to you about is probably the most important political event happening and really may open a lot of eyes about what really was happening in the first six months of the Trump administration rather than what the media and Democrats told you was happening. The four things are the arrest at the airport of a Pakistani national who worked for the Democrat Party for years, worked for Debbie Washington Schultz in particular. Second thing is the Fusion GPS company that came up with a dossier about Donald Trump that was just completely uh, a made-up story but the potential role the Democrat Party had in that. Third thing is the DNC server, the server that allegedly proved to the world that the Russians hacked in. And fourth is a topic I have not yet talked about in the show, but I'm starting tonight, and that is the death of DNC staffer Seth Rich. Okay, starting with the Pakistani arrest. If you haven't followed this story, just this past week at Dulles Airport outside Washington, D.C., a man was arrested named Imran Awan. We're going to call him, his last name is Awan. He's a Pakistani. He had worked in, in, the IT, in an IT capacity for the Democrats, for Democrat Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, including the time period that she was chair of the DNC. He was arrested at Dulles Airport as he was aborting a flight to flee to Pakistan. This arrest is, I'm telling you, more relevant than many of the other stories, probably all the Russian stories we've been hearing about in 2016. And it's, it, it has the potential to, involve, to evolve into a story that changes the way we see the last six months. This Pakistani, Awan, was the former head, um, was the information technology person for Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And just to give you a few um, tidbits about this guy, what he's all about— not only did he work in Congress for Debbie Washman Schultz and the Democrats, but he also brought along his two brothers who also worked in the D- for the Democrats. They were information technology people. IT is information technology. They worked for uh, the um, House members, for various House members, and they worked at doing security, IT, IT work, so access to computers and emails uh, for the House Intelligence and Foreign Affairs Committee. So it was these three brothers. Two of them had their wives also working there. A few things of note to understand how sinister just the picture is at the outside. The reason this man was arrested at Dulles Airport related to um, the claim of bank fraud. And that seems just to be the, the minimum of his problems, the, the beginning of his problems. In February of, 20, of this year, 2017, the Democrats were warned that these people were under investigation for having doing things like accessing members' computers without their knowledge transferring files to remote servers, stealing computer equipment, including hard drives that later were found in this guy Juan's home, smashed to bits, hard drives that belonged to Debbie Washman Schultz and other Democrats in, the, in Congress. They also were the recipients of numerous fraudulent loans. And these are really bad actors. I don't want to waste too much time telling you tonight. This is just an introduction to this story. I think it's going to be going forward for months, and I will come back to it. But these were bad actors in many, many ways. Just to tell you the interesting thought about what 
what in the world they were doing working in, in Congress. Congressional staff salaries are generally in the range of $40,000, $40,000 a year to be a staffer. These people, these Pakistani nationals doing IT work, were earning about four times, like in the $200,000 range, $160,000 range, more than other staffers were. They were getting paid and working very little time, getting paid lots of money, and they also were not around as much as people might be, who be, you would think would be, who were earning that kind of money. They also had access to people's emails. And again, Debbie Washman Schultz was the head of the DNC at the time these people worked for her. And then they had some of them. One of them had a drunk driving conviction. Didn't matter. Didn't matter what they were doing. But the other really amazing thing, and I'm going to have to take this first five to, into the second segment, too, to finish what I wanted to say. But one of the things that's amazing, in 2016, the House Intelligence, House Intelligence Committee Democrats wanted their staffers to have unbounded access to uh, sensitive materials. And they wrote a letter um, seeking funding for their staffers so they could obtain top-secret-sensitive compartmented information, clearances, TSSCI, the highest-level security classification available. This guy who was arrested, the Democrats are trying to get him access at that level. And the other thing that happened in February of this year they, that the Democrats were told these people are under investigation for they are defrauding, they're stealing money, they are, I mean, there was a whole another long story with these young men and their stepmother whom they were defrauding out of her rightful, um, the uh, proceeds of her uh, their dad's uh, life insurance. But they were warned these are untrustworthy, that the House, the uh, security, uh, Capitol Police, police barred their access to that house computers this so all, all of them let go except debbie washman schultz was paying this guy this pakistani guy who got arrested this week awan up until this week she did not fire him she did not stop paying him until the day he got arrested and this is someone who was arrested for fleeing the country with a bunch of money and, and was very very curious and ton of questions i'm gonna run by in the next segment what in the world is he being paid for i'm debbie georgiatis america can we talk do not go away Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? 
We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can and welcome you back to America Can We Talk. Just love having a right view roundtable uh, here tonight. I'm going to let them talk in just a minute. It's good. <laughs> Kirby Anderson. Don't make promises you can't keep now. <laughs> and Cameron Clifton are both here. But I want to finish. I start the first five tonight saying there are four things, a confluence of these things that is probably the most important political story in America right now. And I want to be sure I hit them. So the first one was the arrest of these Pakistanis. And I just skimmed the surface of, of the unbelievably nefarious things these people have been doing for years. They did finally get arrested. The wife was allowed to leave with cash exceeding the amount. She fled to Pakistan with her kids months ago. This guy is still in America, but and and, and you know predictably his assur- his attorney is saying, oh the the defense he's he's proffering for all this guy has done is oh this is just Islamophobia on the part of the right. But I digress. The th- uh, three other factors pulled together that really matter. One is this company called Fusion GPS, and they're the ones that came up with the Trump dossier. And if you recall, last year the story emerged and, and during prior to the election that the Russians had a dossier about Trump and that he had engaged in some ridiculous disgusting things, which was a completely 
made up, unproven, unsourced, ridiculous thing. Well, the organization that came up with this Trump dossier was, uh, is co-founded by Glenn Simpson, who's now being called to testify in Congress. But he, the Democrats are working very hard to block the ability of Republicans to even call this guy. And Simpson is saying, I will come and testify, but I will not answer the question of who paid us, who hired this you know, smear for hire organization called Fusion GPS, who hired them to, to make up this dossier about Trump? Glenn Simpson saying, I won't tell. And you realize what a crucial role this, this dossier played, because once it got floated around Washington, and, the, and you know, the suspicion, of course, is that the Democrats, some, whether it was Hillary, the DNC, John Podesta, somebody in that ilk is likely the one who pay, paid for this dossier. The point was just to make Trump look just like he could possibly be blackmailed so by the Russians because of this creepy stuff he supposedly didn't, did, but he didn't do. So that dossier is given to the FBI. Director Comey looks at that and says, my gosh, we're going to have to turn this over. We're going to have to start getting warrants. This is the basis for the FISA warrants we were all talking about. And again, these FISA warrants were not criminal investigations of anything. They were simply counterintelligence, trying to find, allegedly, trying to find these Russians who may or may not have something on Trump. And in the course of that, of course, it got into picking up conversations that various Russians had with people connected to Donald Trump. Then all the conversations get leaked, and pretty soon we're all talking about what, you know, so-and-so said to some Russian, this was a this was a springboard for the the entire Russia Trump collusion story. A dossier that now we we're not even entitled to know who uh, who paid for it. And my guess is someone connected to Hillary Clinton. Third thing I wanted to mention, in case you've lost track of this, if you've heard in the last seven months, and I've heard when I do media of all kinds, I have to have a Democrat on the other side. They say, "Oh, come on, everyone knows the Russians hacked the election. That's a fact. Everyone knows." I want to remind all of you out there that the DNC, like many Democrats always and forever, never actually accountable, never living under the rule of law. The DNC has never permitted the FBI or any other national security agency of any kind examine their server. The whole reason all those agencies say, well, it's very clear, there's evidence, very clear. They're talking about evidence that was produced by an organization called CrowdStrike an organization that is a private entity that does cybersecurity. The Democrats hired them to examine the server. So all these agencies and all these pundits blathering away on the left saying, well, everyone knows, all the agencies have claimed, they've never been allowed to look at the server. The only one looking at the server is this CrowdStrike, hired, paid for by the Dems. And you know, when you're the one paying the money, you decide what it is they're going to come out with. So this absurdity that they're allowed to stand on this with no consequence, never produce a server. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was there was a DNC staffer named Seth Rich. We've barely talked. I think I mentioned him once on the show. Seth Rich was a DNC staffer. He was a Bernie supporter. He was very upset with the DNC when they um, appeared in his view to be favoring Hillary Clinton over his favorite candidate, Bernie Sanders. Seth Rich was murdered in Washington, D.C. last year. And he was murdered in an incident where he was out partying, by the way, early in the evening, out partying with the IT people from Capitol Hill, like Mr. Awan and whoever else. Then he went to a bar, left the bar, you know, shut, closed down the bar. I mean, he left when the bar closed and three hours later was found murdered. And he had 
uh, although there were signs of a struggle and scrapes and bruises, um, the, whoever accosted him did not remove his wallet, his jewelry, anything of value. They left. They didn't take anything. And oddly, despite the signs of a scuffle, he was shot in the back twice. So I raised all that to say the rich family hired someone to look into who killed their son. This is a case in which the police have tried to characterize it as a robbery gone bad. And many people will say, oh, my gosh, those crazy right wing conspiracy people. You know, they're trying to claim this had something to do with some sinister thing. The Democrats were involved. And so, you know, I'm careful about that because I would I don't want to ever make irresponsible allegations. So I'm just raising the question, though. The Seth Rich family hired an investigator, uh, Mr. Wheeler, who looked into this. They got sideways with each other. That guy isn't working for the Rich family anymore. But he has said, he tweeted out this week, in light of this discovery of this Awan guy being stopped, this Pakistani guy at the airport now under arrest, he said, watch this case closely. This Wheeler investigator for the Rich family tweeted out, watch this case closely a lot of things are about to come out, or something like that. I don't have the exact words. But the point being, the Seth Rich thing was a disaster uh, for the Democrats, which had it been a Republican staffer murdered and uh, inexplicably, you know, it would be front-page news every day since then. But because of the Democrats, it just gets buried. There's been no explanation, no uncovering of a motive. And I raise all this to say I wanted to plant these questions, and I want you to actually think about the answers. Who paid for the Russian dossier? Why should they not have to tell who paid? Why shouldn't Fusion GPS? And, and why? Where is the DNC server now? On what possible basis does the DNC to say that the FBI cannot look at that server? And, and mind you, the server is the evidence everyone relies on to say that there was Russian hacking. So the DNC can get hysterical for months, accusing Trump of all sorts of stuff based on hacking, which they will not allow the actual official investigators to even look at. What, if anything, do those Pakistani IT workers, Awan and his sibling and his brothers and their wives, what did they download from all of those Democrat computers? What emails did they see? Who did they give them to? Who did they share them to? Why was the uh, hard drive from Deborah Wasserman Schultz uh, computer in his in this guy Awan's house? And Wasserman Schultz has been hysterical, demanding be returned to her without investigation. You can't even look at it. This is that Democrat above the law attitude, just stalking. Who, who coordinated the hiring of the Iwan brothers to start with? Why were they working for dozens of Democratic congressmen? Why were they paid so much? They're paid four times than anyone else was. They managed in, in a several-year period to be paid over $4 million of your taxpayer dollars. These, these clowns who were, were breaking the law as they went along. What was all that money for? Were they, were they I mean, you could argue perhaps they were blackmailing People in Congress, people they read stuff about and, and, and could say, hey, you know what? Now that I've seen your emails, I know you did this. I know you said this. I know you wrote about uh, Seth Rich. I know what you said. I want money for that. We don't know. But this is the kind of thing. This, what I'm raising in this, this first five and second five tonight, this should be the headlines in the Washington Post, the New York Times, the L.A. Times, and every other paper in this country because this is where the story is. The Democrats have dug for a year now and found zip, zero, nada. And it's time for Republicans to stand up, man up, find a backbone, and say, we're not going to humor this investigation of Donald Trump any further. We're going to actually look for what happened last year in this most important case, and we're not going to humor this ridiculous investigation. And so I raise all that to say, you know, we are have to go off to our next break. And I, I, I do want to tell you quickly, I have a wonderful guest coming up. We're going to change topics entirely. 
wonderful guest coming up next segment named Kim Crockett. She is with the Center of the American Experiment in Minnesota. I met her this past week when we were up there in Minnesota. Um, she is their general counsel. She's a senior policy fellow. She's a past labor lawyer, so we really hit it off. But she also is going to talk about the impact of the Somalian refugee influx in Minneapolis. We're not going to talk about, you know, the hijra and all of that concept of using immigration for um, jihad, which hijra is a is a legitimate is a concept in Islam, which is using immigration to commit jihad. We're just going to talk about refugees themselves. What is the impact, and what does it what's fair to say in American policy? What we do in bringing the um, so many refugees to America. So she's a fount of knowledge, lawyer, smart person. And I'm, I'm going to close with this because we just have. A, I'm sorry, I know I said they could talk. The rest of the show. You guys can talk. I just, I had, I, this has been burning in my, in my heart, and I just had to get it off. I want to just point something else. I am really glad to say that some members of the GOP in Congress actually wrote a letter and said they demanded a special counsel to look into James Comey, Hillary Clinton, and Loretta Lynch. That's a start. That's a good start. But do you ever stop to think about this? When, when President Obama was president, whatever came up, you know, gun running the, the the gun running thing, the IRS thing, which was you know using IRS to target political enemies. When all sorts of truly nefarious, clearly known things happened, everybody said, "Well, no one's going to investigate because the Democrats have all the power, so no one's going to investigate. It's, it's going to be dropped." And you know what? It's time for us to recognize Trump needs us to step up. The Republicans need to step up and recognize the Democrats have run the show so far in this presidency. And that must end. This is Debbie George Ass, American Can We Talk. Come right back. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. 
If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back. So glad you've tuned in tonight. I'm Debbie George Addis, and I have joining me on the phone Kim Crockett. I mentioned a moment ago, Kim Crockett. I just actually met her in Minnesota a few weeks ago. She's a vice president and senior policy fellow and general counsel of the Center of the American Experiment. And I'm, she's joining us tonight along with my Right View Roundtable, Cameron Clifton and Kirby Anderson. And I believe we have Kim on the phone. Hi, Kim. Hi, Debbie. Nice <laughs> to hear your voice finally. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. So glad you're here. And um, we are just uh, wound up. Every break we get talking about everything we want to talk about. And so we're going to tune back in here. So one thing that Kim and I were talking about, and it's very evident, I, as I told our listeners, we were up in Minnesota just a few weeks ago for a cousin's reunion. And we were all able, I mean, it's very noticeable that Minnesota's changed since the 30 years ago, and we used to go there every summer on vacation, our, really our whole life. Um, and um, so we want to talk about, everyone's aware that there's a, a large influx of Somalian refugees. And these are, in fact, Kim, I like that you said in a note you sent me about making a distinction between immigration and refugees, but a large population of Somalian refugees. And, um, and, and I'm, what we want to talk about tonight is how they really shaped and impacted Minnesota's schools and culture and economy. So just to start with, I think, you know, you, you should make a distinction for us. Like, what are the reason all these refugees are there? What is the reason they've come to America? Well, and I apologize. I meant to tune in uh, to your discussion before I got on, and, and I'm so technologically challenged that I didn't realize you were live on Facebook. So I'm not sure what you what you told your listeners about 
um, the program, but it never hurts to repeat, right, in case someone's just tuning in. Right. Actually, so, Kim, I'll tell you, we, we were on, on the subject of a different subject before, the, before oh, you came sorry. on, so you well, go ahead. I think this is, you know, we're up in Minnesota, and, and we are the number one destination for refugees in America, both primary and secondary, and, and we can certainly talk about that. Um, but for everybody, you know, who might be listening outside of, say, Texas, um, or maybe at some point Minnesota, it's important to understand that the Refugee Resettlement Program is a function of the State Department. It is a federal program uh, and very much directed by the President of the United States in terms of the number of refugees uh, who can be admitted. Um, it, is, it is not something that states have anything to say about. And um, I started looking at this about a year and a half ago in hopes that I could describe the impact of the refugee resettlement in Minnesota on our state budget, and then eventually local budgets and school districts and law enforcement and all of that. And uh, just to be a little bit of a spoiler, um, I can't find the data, Debbie. I mean, not only does the State Department kind of hide it, but the state of Minnesota isn't tracking it, uh, and it's something that we have to, to remedy. So it's a federal program. Uh, the State Department, uh, working with the president, decides how many refugees are coming to America. And then they look at three main factors to figure out where they're going to go. One is the availability of welfare resources. Uh, the other is competent voluntary agencies. You may recognize the names Catholic Charities, Lutheran Social Services, and World Relief. Those are the three big ones here in Minnesota. And then finally, they're looking for where other refugees from those communities already live. So those are the three things that determine who comes to Texas or who comes to Minnesota or whatever state it might be. And because our refugee program, or our, excuse me, our welfare programs in Minnesota are so generous and our, our voluntary agencies are so good at what they do, we just keep getting more and more refugees. And if you think about it, that's not a very good federal policy. It's not a way of saying, well, thank you, Minnesota, for being so generous, uh, because it ends up with uneven placement around the United States. Oh, it really, so, go ahead. So that's a little bit of how it works. And, and you, you told your listeners I'm a lawyer, and one of the things I love is the United States Constitution. And the Tenth Amendment uh, in the Bill of Rights, amending the Constitution, says uh, something about the state's role. And the way it's been interpreted by our Supreme Court is that the federal government is not allowed to commandeer state resources in pursuit of a federal policy, right? Uh, yes. Yep. Makes sense. Um, this is a federal policy. It is a state, it's, it's a function of our foreign policy. It's a function of State Department policy. But by and large, the federal government is basically flying people in, 
and dumping them off in the States. And the only reason why you and I can't get together with our friends uh, in the legal community and bring what's called a commandeering suit against the federal government is that most states back in 1980 raised their hands and said, oh, yeah, we'll help. You know, we'll settle refugees. We, We trust the federal government and we'll settle refugees in our states, um, you know, because it seems like the right thing to do, right? Um, Minnesota was and, and, and continues to be a very safe landing ground for, for the Hmong, people from Laos. And we felt a very special relationship with them because of how they helped us during the Vietnam War. And and that was our big experience with the refugee program and why initially we just got so good at it here. But the world has changed dramatically. Uh, And as you mentioned, uh, Minnesota has become a major destination for people from Somalia and the refugee camps in Kenya in particular. Um, and now we, you know, the estimates are that we have 100,000. 100, our sheriff in Hennepin County says we have 250,000. Um, we don't really know uh, what the number is because our government doesn't really track it that closely uh, and considers it rude that we would track it, by the way. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not politically correct to want to know these things. So I started off wanting to know what the impact was on the state budget because um, we're really feeling the squeeze here for Minnesota residents. Uh, we're, we're running tight on, on affordable housing that's given to people who are, you know, up against it. Um, we're, our welfare budgets are exploding. They're out of control. Um, and people are just feeling, you know, really squeezed right now. And um, so we wanted to know what the impact was on the budget, and we actually can't get the data. Kim, you know, that's so interesting you should say that because I was just uh, rereading today in preparation for our show um, a book that's called Refugee Resettlement. It's a short little book by Ann Corker, and she has a lot of that uh-huh. information, too, uh, to, to make the point that there is so much effort on in the federal and state levels to hide information from individuals. And it is very much a—I um, I find that among the most egregious aspects of this is that somehow the, the all-knowing, all-powerful government— can decide things and, and and the people don't need to know, but really the people on the ground, like you living in Minnesota and people here in Dallas, we have a, uh, also have a significant refugee population. You know, we're feeling the impact, but we're not, we can't even analyze it or, or not monitor. We we can't assess it properly. Well, you wrote something or there was something written that I want to mention to our listeners and you can go to our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org or our Facebook page, America Can We Talk. And I put a link up to this. It's called Has Minnesota Nice Become Minnesota Naivete? And it's a great title, by the way. But, you know, the, um, the concept of, you know, this people picture refugees and when the refugee resettlement act was passed in 1980 there was a lot of concern about people fleeing communism a lot of people came to america from vietnam and other places where they were really victims of communism but at this point the refugee resettlement program is kind of out of our control we actually have great deference given to the un 
to choose who needs to yeah. come here. Yeah. I mean, really damaging. Yeah. And I just feel like there's a there's a need for the American people to say, you know, this this isn't. Um, we need to be in charge of our, our refugee policy and understand better how they're all being divided. We're, we're heading up to commercial. Actually, no, we have another 25 seconds, but um, you, you can hang on during the break, right, Kim? Oh, absolutely. Oh, good. Stay okay. as long as you want. Great. Okay. Because I do want to talk about as a as you know, loving, good, kind Americans, especially Minnesotans. Yeah. Yeah, Minnesotans. <laughs> what do you do when the refugees uh population is growing? It feels out of control, is draining of resources, and also kind of culturally, what is the impact on a on a largely and uh, Minnesota isn't largely rural, but it's got a lot of I mean what how does it end up changing the culture, the education and the resources available? to your people to have this influx continue. I'm Debbie George S. speaking to Kim Crockett of Century of the American Experiment, Cameron Clifton, and Kirby Anderson. Come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. 
That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Hello there and welcome back. We have on the line, I'm so happy to have her on the show with us tonight, Kim Crockett, my new friend in Minnesota. She's the Vice President, Senior Policy Fellow, and General Counsel of the Center of the American Experiment. And if you're one of our Texas listeners, this is kind of like the Texas Public Policy Foundation of the state of Minnesota. Great, great group, great website. And um, But we're, I wanted, when we met a few weeks ago in Minnesota, I was, we got talking about the refugee situation in Minnesota, and I want to understand better, like, what's the, you know, the on-the-ground consequences. So I think Kirby had a question. I can't, uh, Kirby has a question. You go ahead first. Well, you know, one of the people that we oftentimes quote from who's from Somalia is Ayin Hershey Ali, and somebody that we like. And she wrote something recently, being from Somalia, and she said she's found that there's four types of Somalians. Tell me if this sounds familiar with what you have up there in Minnesota. You have some that come and want to assimilate and actually see the values of Western democracy. She's an example. But the other three we're not too interested in because she said the second group are mostly young men who are menaces in their homes and outside in public. They've been subjected to domestic violence and oftentimes go and commit it themselves. The third group are those that um, have no formal education, thankfully accept welfare and live off it. And then the final group, which are the most concerning, are the fanatics, those who actually come and have a desire to actually begin to implement Islam and maybe even eventually would join some of those groups that are considered radical Muslims. So, Kim, does that sound like some of the Somali refugees that you've talked about? Yeah, it, it does. Um, it, you have to understand, though, it's, it's, it's very—I interact with some— um it's on a very limited basis um just kind of just happened to our state and i think people you know minnesotans are so polite and they just kind of keep moving going who's that right um there are one of the things that i notice is there are young women i'll see them in a restaurant and they are studying so hard they've got their books out in front of them and they are trying so hard to take advantage of this wonderful country. Um, and and so, yes, I'm encouraged by that's that. That's group number one, but it's <laughs> groups number two, three, yeah. and four that we're concerned about, right? You no, know, it's the girls, too. Uh, yes. and, and because this is a polygamous culture, and because men do not take responsibility for their families the way they do in 
Western cultures, monogamous cultures, the women are really serious about getting skills. Um, there's a very low workforce participation rate among men. It's 30 to 40 percent. Mm-hmm. And there's an attitude um, that is somewhat pervasive that, you know, we work for them. Uh, and I have had a number of friends who are Muslim uh, from other countries who have come to me since I started writing about this to warn me. They say, Kim, Minnesotans are very naive. Uh, you're being taken advantage of. Um, I've had a number of people come to me to say that the Muslim Brotherhood is very much in charge of the community and the mosques here in, in Minnesota. And to, to the fourth group, we are the really kind of number one uh, recruitment location for ISIS. Um, I think that's probably down a bit. Uh, ISIS isn't winning right now. Uh, ISIS is getting knocked around pretty good. But this is the um, epicenter in the United States for recruitment. Uh, we have lost a, a number of young men uh, to, you know, to the fight. Uh, we also lose young men who want to go back to the Civil War uh, and, and fight there as well. So it's, you know, this... This just kind of happened to us. Nobody knew anything about Somalia, where it even was on a map. Um, We didn't understand that the people who came here were practicing female genital mutilation. Uh, Little girls, before they, um, you know, enter puberty in full, are, are taken on these journeys and they are mutilated. Um, we have an entire group of women now living amongst us who've been mutilated. Um, there's polygamy. Uh, there's welfare fraud. Um, there is fraud on our government uh, on programs because we aren't prepared to deal with a culture that kind of knows how to do that stuff, like our child care subsidies, our our Medicaid subsidy programs have all been subject to wide, widespread fraud. So this this thing is happening, and um, I, I don't I, I've never really lived uh, in a, like in Texas or other places. But for Minnesotans, this is very hard because we're not supposed to talk about our objections out loud. It's considered mean and uh, and impolite. We're just supposed to accept whoever is around us. And I think Minnesotans are just starting to wake up and say, wait a minute. Um, I mean, Debbie, you asked about the impact. There are small towns all over um, Minnesota now that have a large Somali population and mosques being built, cemeteries being built. And there's real cultural clashes going on. And I'm, I'm worried about it. I'm very worried about it. Hi, this is Cameron Clifton. I just wanted to ask you if you are obligated to provide uh, information in their native language. If you have to, oh, oh yeah. So yeah. I mean, all the program stuff. It's it's not a written language, though. I think we sort of came up with it. Uh, same with Hmong. Uh, we've come up with that written language. In fact, uh, I just got a Department of Human Services brochure with both Hmong and Somali in it. Um, yes. So the answer is, yeah. 
So, wow. so when you have to do that, then, um, how are your teachers coping with that? Well, our teachers, you know, it's not just Somalis that are landing in Minnesota. We have probably about a dozen different groups. The two big ones are people from Burma and people from Somalia, uh, both the refugee camps in Somalia proper. Um, and our schools in St. Paul and Minneapolis in particular are dealing with a dozen different languages. And it's no wonder, you know, that so many of our teachers are quitting after a very short time in those schools or trying to get out of those schools. There's real chaos going on. You know, um, and, and there's no planning for it in the budgets. There's no preparation for teachers. Um, it's really it's really a difficult situation. You know, this this is Debbie again. You know, it was interesting. I was listening when you were speaking. We started out by talking about how there's, you know, immigration to America has a set of policies and laws, and we periodically adjust them and think about them. But refugees, I don't think we have yet embraced the idea politically as a policy that we need to insist on refugees and the same acculturation requirements, the same assimilation requirements that we allegedly impose on legal immigrants. And I think that's part of the problem here is you, you mentioned female genital mutilation, which is obviously horrific. Crime. It's also, it's a crime. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the notion that we need to be comfortable as a Western civilization, as America, to say, wherever you come from, if we're rescuing you from the horrors of your homeland, we, we want to help. But if you want to be here and be a citizen, you assimilate to us, our laws, our culture, no polygamy, no female genital mutilation, and you got to learn the language. But we're not comfortable saying that yet. No, and because we're not comfortable, it's not going to happen. And it's easy to lie to us. Um, all of those are questions that get asked uh, in the refugee camps before you're even admitted for consideration to the program. And what I'm told is that people just lie when they, you know, are you are you married to more than one person? No, you know, and then we discover over here that sure enough, people have, you know, it's up to four wives. Um, so we have to stop being so damn naive <laughs> and and. The other, you know, I mean, Trump's travel restrictions, which have been the, you know, in the news and so on and so forth, in my opinion, were very modest. I mean, from the standpoint of what's happening here in Minnesota, that was nothing. It has slowed down the flow of refugees into Minnesota. Uh, starting in about May, we started to really see things, you know, come down. But it was a very modest start. We would like to call a timeout, we being the center and folks who are, you know, like-minded. We'd like to call a timeout and say, look, we have probably several hundred thousand people in our state who are practicing polygamy, who think that female genital mutilation is okay, who do not understand uh, the U.S. Constitution and the American culture of work and, uh, and view of the family and so forth. We need a chance to introduce ourselves um, and teach who we are. And the reason why I'm not very optimistic about that is that we don't know who we are anymore in America. I think we're going through our own identity crisis. When you have half the country demanding, you know, that Bernie Sanders uh, be the president for a while there, uh, or think that socialized medicine is a good idea, 
uh, or that hate America. I mean, there's a lot of cultural hatred going on. Um, I think it's a very, very bad time for us to be bringing people into the country um, who come from cultures that are so entirely foreign uh, to our own. I think it's a, a huge mistake. Kim Crockett, you are singing the tune of the show. I'm telling you, a lot of what I'm constantly talking about is reclaiming the American identity, understanding it, and standing up for it, and, and just helping other people understand why it's so important. We have about a minute left, but you mentioned these VOLOGs, which is an abbreviation for the voluntary agencies that are permitted under federal law to bring refugees here, and they... A, make a lot of money doing it. They get paid by the federal government, which means by it's your a tax. Multi-billion dollar, it's a multi-billion dollar deal at this point. They are all formerly Christian organizations who are now wholly owned subsidiaries of the federal government. So if you want to do something productive, go talk to your pastor, go talk to your priest, go talk to your rabbi and say, are we involved in this? And if we are, Why? Okay, I can't believe you said that because we had a project going here last year in Texas. We were trying to talk. We have uh, the uh, Catholic bishops here uh, bringing a large number of refugees to Texas, and and they were not interested in our input. But, Ken, that's a great point because when you hear stories like this and you realize culture changing, the only one in the the country who can defend America— are the Americans who understand what it is and they see what's at stake and they, and they want to speak up. So yes. I agree with you. We're going to run out of time on this segment. You're going to leave them wanting more, Kim, but you want to just briefly tell our listeners the website to read the things that you do? Just look, just look up Center of the American Experiment. And uh, you'll. this is my nights and weekends project, by the way, my refugee project. We do a lot on state budgets and other great policy work. So um happy to have people take a peek and uh, enjoy. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you after the break.